own company and your overall role. And, and I think just one thing you're hoping to get away from this session, because what I was told, you know, you were able to kind of choose and select which sections that you wanted to go to. Um, so I'm excited to learn why you decided to uh, come to, to this one. So um, I guess we'll start in the back here and then we'll work our way all the way around. No, either or. Okay. Yeah, either or. <laughs> My name is Carrie Hallett. I'm the assistant city manager for a small town in southwest Missouri. And um, what I want to get out of this is just helping to continue to build leaders in our organization. Perfect. And I think, yeah, let's go here. Hi, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Wallace. I am the office manager at Bernard Health. So I am the staff member, but I'm speaking today, so I'm not wearing a t-shirt. But um, I'm just hoping to learn and take as much as I can. Fair. I'm Brett and Chatham. Um, I'm on the marketing team at uh, Bernie Portal. Um, I'm also responsible for HR Party of One if anybody watches the show. And I just want to give you a preview. Uh, we're going to be interviewing Anthony for the show after his presentation. And that episode should probably come out in late July or early August. So okay. kind of keep that in mind. Um, I'm Rebecca Ford. I'm also on the marketing team for Burning Portal, and um, I am. This is my fourth week with uh, Bernard Health, so I am here to absorb everything HR. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Uh, my name is Trish Aldrich. I'm from uh, Spectrum Benefit Solutions in Central Wisconsin. Um, I kind of do a lot of things. I'm a business manager, but I also see clients individually, so I am Environment, but also in the industry as well. Sure. Okay. Uh, 
Perfect. Beautiful. My name is Logan Krug. I'm on the advisor success team here at uh, Bernard Health. Um, I'm going to do my best to make sure I'm keeping this all on time here. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I'm going to get focused yeah. and keep turning it up. I rant a lot, so keep me in, keep me in check here. <laughs> I'm Sydney. I try to keep him in line as much as possible, but I'm passing the baton. So I'll do that. My, my sister slash fiance, so she's a, she's a double role. Um, there you go. Uh, my name is Molly Jones. I'm um, a team member on the advisor success team. Um, I'm here because um, to be back with everybody else to learn about diversity and um, leadership. Perfect. And I think it's important. Everybody uh, yeah, it should topic. I appreciate it. Yeah, perfect. All right, so I'm a very out of the box character. Let's just start that way. Um, so my name is Anthony Vaughn, of course, but everyone here can call me AJ starting out. No human being in the world ever calls me Anthony once they meet me, so let's just push that to the side. You introduced yourself as Anthony. I know, I, I struggle with that. LinkedIn Connections podcast. I gotta start saying AJ. Just I really, say AJ. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit, yeah, let's just start saying AJ. So my name is AJ. Um, I guess what I can do today is first and foremost, you know, for me, when it comes to DE&I, I, I understand the gender aspect of it, I understand the race aspect of it, but I do have other perspectives that I would like to share. Um, I think getting really deep operationally and figuring out how to actually make change, um, figuring out how it impacts leaders, um, potentially how you can even remove leaders once you teach them certain things, um, thinking about how it blends into recruiting, that's actually one aspect that has not been I think double down on yet. Um, there hasn't been a nice blend of DEI uh, and recruiting initiatives in the front end, um, outside of just attracting again just different genders and, and background, but really understanding how to blend it all the way through the process. Um, so overall, for me, I want to kind of give a different perspective on DEI. I think uh, my background can do that. Again, I'll, I'll give my intro in a minute, but uh, I'm really blessed and excited to be here. A bit nervous, and I usually I never get nervous because it's the first time in a while. Being in person and seeing bodies here, last few years I've been doing tons of keynotes remotely, um, so it's fun finally being here in person, kind of having an opportunity to kind of see everyone here. So if you see me get a little nervous, a little sweat, uh, just don't don't mind me. Um, but overall, as I told a few of you here, I think I look like I'm 40. Um, I'm actually only 31. Um, so that's just a, a little disclaimer there. I started my career at 19, though, so I built my first brand. Um, I did a did a deal with Under Armour that I can explain in a moment. I was a former football player at West Virginia at Wesley. Thought I was going to be a running back and do the whole NFL thing. Um, but one summer, I inevitably met a few different folks, built a brand. It was kind of like a year-round football academy model. We were looking to take really high-level athletes and kind of give them psychological training, kind of personal development, also like training on the field as well. Um, and inevitably, that brand grew to 70 full-time employees. Under Armour came in to become a partner 
and we scaled very fast. So, you know, I'm 19, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm trying to piece things together. I have a, I have a COO, I have a, I have a partner in this guy named Seth Mentor who's amazing and um, we're off to the races. But for me, what I didn't understand is succession planning and career mapping. And I didn't understand the importance of that. And so with that particular business, as we scaled, aesthetically things were doing well. Um, I was able to kind of move to a different part. Uh, you know, I'm originally from Baltimore, so I was able to move to a different county. I was able to do things and kind of finally come into my own as a professional at a time where a lot of my friends and colleagues were, were just still in school or, or going through that process. And so for me, you know, I had my first job at Burger King. I didn't, I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about employee experience or career mapping or any of those things. And you actually remember this story, so I'll give a little bit of more context. Um, her stepdad was a, uh, was a CEO of a company. And I went to him one day and I said, Seth keeps coming up to me talking about what's next. The company's scaling, the company's doing well. I need to figure out where my next step is gonna be. So, AKA a career mapping conversation, figuring out where I'm gonna go. Um, I ignored that conversation about seven different times. And I ignored it for various reasons. I felt that I was too busy. I felt I was too Hollywood. I felt, I just didn't want to have the conversation. And frankly, I didn't know the answer. I never studied, I never understood it, never learned it. And Seth one day came to me definitively and said, what is happening right now? And so we had our parents over for dinner one day and I asked him, I said, Seth is pressuring me. We need to figure out what I'm doing here. And uh, her stepdad gave me some advice and said, don't have that conversation. Like, he doesn't deserve it. You built this company. You, you know, I was a busboy working, trying to build the business. She's like, no one deserves to take any equity of what you have and gave me this whole spiel. And I declined. And six months later, he left the company. And again, you were here that day. Uh, we, had a, we had an event where I was expecting a lot of people to show up. And three people showed up. And it was because Seth was no longer with the company. Then I got an email a couple days later and Under Armour was no longer with the company. And Under Armour was the, the foundation of why it scaled so quickly. Then I got another email later and said a lot of some of the influencers that were involved was no longer with the company. So I sat down with my COO at the time, Tim, lot, much older than me at the time. He said, you got a decision to make, you know, young man, like either you rebuild and start from scratch or you move on to your next endeavor. And immediately there, I don't know what clicked, but it said in my mind, you know, employees first, right? And, and I didn't do that. And so somewhere along the lines, I started Googling, started figuring out what, I, what, what mistake that I make, and that's what I kind of stumbled upon, that I didn't put my employees first. I didn't understand where they wanted to go, I didn't care, I didn't have any empathy, and I didn't bake that into the operational fabrics of the company. Um, and so as you probably can imagine, I lost that brand, and so that was kind of my origin story, if you will, of how I got introduced to the world of HR, employee experience, understood the importance of that. Um, so that's kind of like my first tip, like, if anyone who wants to write anything down or leave anything today, you will hear me double down employees first, quite literally. Because if you don't do it, the worst case scenario is you can actually lose a, a business, a, a quite lucrative business, a business that I think would have put you know, my family in a completely different position, a business that was doing very well, a business that attracted Under Armour and all these glitz and glamour. And all I had to do was sit down and have a conversation. All I had to do was build inclusivity into, into the way that I was working, understand where he wanted to go, understood his family, understood his morals, his perspectives, and just figure out how we could bake that into our, into our, uh, into our business model. And I didn't do that. And so, uh, again, lost the business, didn't really understand what I was going to do next, 
But eventually, to speed the story up, and I'll loop back in the E1B2 methodology here, um, I built a second brand, which was a partnership consultancy firm. Again, scaled that to about 20 or, 20 or so folks around me. And then I went in as I had a people, and I'll explain that in a minute, and, and kind of the off to the races. But from that point, I did everything in my power to study every single day employee experience, DE&I, neuroscience, organizational psychology. Um, Again, to call you out again, like you remember, I was up late, you know, nights, like studying, researching, trying to understand what did I do wrong because I didn't want to make that mistake again. <clears throat> and with my athletic background, I kind of replaced that 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 training methodology that I took when football, and I replaced it with that. And so I started studying and researching, really understanding the mistakes that I made, and then I eventually came up with this E one B two methodology here. So um, let me kind of give you the purpose of E one B two, and then we'll jump into a different slide here. So employees first, business second. For me, it's very simple. If you can operationally put employees first and really understand where they want to go, and, and I can get a lot deeper into that in a moment, everything from the business will actually be a lot better. Now, a lot of folks think I say employees first and forget about the business, and that's actually furthest from the truth because if you hear my story, I started as an operator. I started as a founder. I got to HR second. So it's not that I'm forgetting about the business. It's not that I've forgotten the importance of pure business. It's that I really need companies and, and human beings and leaders to understand that you have to put people first because everything you want to do, whether it's innovating your product, innovating your service, um, executing better, having better retention, everything stems from human beings. And again, look at my example. If your key influencer leaves, if your key partners leave, if your, you know, if your key strategic, you know, again, partners that are really substantial to your, your financial driving revenue, if they all leave, you don't, you don't have a business. And so I, I think it's very amusing and interesting when, when founders and leaders think that the business should come first because quite literally at the most common sense foundational level, if you don't have human beings to do something inside of your company, you do not have a company. That is objectively true and I don't think anyone can debate that. And it's funny, I've had people try to debate that and I don't understand why, but um, that's for another conversation. But at, this, at the most raw level, I'm really about putting employees first and really figuring out how that makes an impact. So um, my name is Anthony. That's my back. AJ. 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 <laughs> That's my background. Um, again, a little bit of a hybrid, a little bit of an out-of-the-box character. But, uh, I'm here and I'm blessed. So that's kind of my little intro for you all. Any questions there? I'll be doing questions in the middle. Things. Any questions, any ideas, any perspectives, anything you want to kind of pin on with that, with that rant there? No? We're all good? Okay. So for me, uh, I'll get a little bit deeper into the values and, and my perspectives on DE&I as well. Um, diversity, equity, and inclusion for me stems from a few different perspectives. Um, I'm really big on like diversity of thought. You know, I come from a background where I, su I suffer from severe ADD. A lot of my slides are actually for myself because if I don't look at them, I, I can't just memorize things. So. For me, diversity of thought, diversity of learning styles, diversity of execution styles, diversity of background. You know, I'm someone that, to this day, like if I wanted to apply to be a C-suite executive inside of a company, you know, I, I don't have I don't have a bachelor's degree. I don't have a master's degree. I, I was building brands at 19, 20, 21, and I think it behooves companies to not just look at your tried and true individuals. But it behooves companies to look at folks that, again, are different color, are different background, but really have a different way of learning, different way of thinking, different way of communicating, different way of interacting. Um, and so that's kind of like my holistic perspective when it comes to DE&I. Um, my favorite 
uh, aspect of DNI is really inclusion. Because for me, going back to my original story, if I was a little bit more inclusive with Seth, if I really understood Seth at a, at a deeper level, frankly, if I really understood the diversity of where he was trying to go and, and, and frankly moved ego out of the picture, that's another factor. I think there's a lot of ego baked into how something should be. Um, and so for me, that is, again, my holistic perspective on DE&I. I've already given you kind of my holistic perspective on um, E1V2. And I think to get back to my, my background a little bit further, so after my second business, I went on, after about four to five years of studying, and I applied to be ahead of people, got the gig. There was a couple different companies I kind of worked that fractionally to make up a full-time uh, salary and effort. And uh, within that, I kind of sat between the COO and their chief of staff. And so I really got to bake in a lot of operational fabrics of this whole E1B2 methodology. So I worked on you know, making the initiatives within the TA more, more impactful. I worked in their DEI programs and worked on the career mapping initiatives. I worked on supporting and building out leaders. Um, worked on obviously making sure the retention was there, the employer branding was there. Um, really like foundational things. So I never, frankly, in my career have ever been your traditional HR person that kind of got into the administrative side. I kind of, we always joke, I kind of skipped the line a little bit based off my background. I jumped right to the, to some degree, the fun stuff, right? The more strategic, impactful initiative. So um, that's how I've spent my time. I then left that company after being furloughed, unfortunately, due to this crazy pandemic that we all endured. And I eventually built out the E1B2 Collective, Employees First, Business Second, which is a collective of brands. So that holds Beyond Resume, Beyond Brand, my speaking career, my podcast, um, another company that I have equity in that's kind of like in the HR tech AI space. So I kind of decided to take my methodology and my years of studying and learning and build a collective of folks and brands around me. So again, to kind of round out this uh, background, I'm a little bit of a different guy here. Like Again, my traditional career has not technically been in HR, but a lot of the, the variables and the things that I've been doing, whether it's building businesses or supporting businesses, has been directly in the, the HR people space. So. Um, Actually, any questions here? No? Background? Okay. Um, so for me, I think, let's start with the first one here. Communicating, respecting, versatile, and diverse communication. I personally have a very diverse style of communication. And, and I guess I'll even start engaging with folks here. Does, does anyone in the companies here have any sort of diverse style of communication? Do you ever run into someone that writes a little bit differently, communicates in meetings a little bit differently? Is there any, I don't know if you have any thoughts. Is that, does that make sense when I, when I say diverse communication style? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to necessarily say it's based on age, but a lot of it is based on age yeah. and how they communicate. Yeah. Um, you know, right now we have some places have five different generations in their workplace. Mm -hmm. and so, how do we have a communication um, process that works for all five generations? Fair. And with our clients, the same thing. They have the same generations, and so it's yeah, trying to figure out the best way. And how, what was the most difficult part when you started realizing that maybe your personal communication style wasn't resonating with younger generations, or, or has it always been a natural skill for you? I, for me personally, because I have kids, mm -hmm. <laughs> they have forced me into it. Fair. But they have forced me to look at things differently, Fair. honestly. I mean, I didn't know all the little, and I still don't know all the little symbols on, in text messaging. Yeah. I didn't know I couldn't just answer K when it, I didn't know that was rude. Like, I would be like, yep. hey. I didn't know I had to say, okay. Yep. You know, just certain things like that. But you learn all these things. And so it just has made me look internally. Like, and I'm not afraid to learn new yeah. things. But 
we all have team members that they think their way is the best way. Fair. And they put those walls up when you, you have to try to bring those walls down. And I think also, and, that, and those are great points, I think also what I mean by diverse communication style, you know, they're the leaders in this room. When we're communicating our ideas, when we're communicating initiatives, roadmaps, some folks are very stern. Some folks are very direct, and, and it's actually no personal attack on anyone else, but I think it's important to explain that to folks that you're working with. I think it's important to kind of let them know that this is my communication style in a meeting setting. This is my communication style in a one-on-one. -on -one. This is my communication style looking over the whole company and team. This will be my communication style via email. This is the communication style that I'm looking for when you want to bring new ideas to me. So those are a few things that I want you all to think about today when it comes to communication styles because I think it's, again, it's a subtlety that crosses into diversity, definitely crosses into inclusion. Because if someone doesn't understand that your stern communication style or your emailing communication style, the way that you're kind of generating and, and communicating your ideas, if, if it doesn't resonate with them, they don't understand it, and you haven't done the, done the due diligence of educating them around that, it can get a little bit confusing and a little bit complicated. It can cause a lot of friction Within the, within the teams and companies. So AJ, that, you bring up a really good point, but how do you, if you have, let's say, six leaders, or mm -hmm. how do you, what does that process look like from the top down? I mean, do you have focus groups? Do you have meetings? Do you, have, do you simply just ask people, you know, what communication style works for you? Yep. I mean, how, how do you get that information out to the rest of the team? That's a good question. So it, it depends on where you are, right? So I have, since I built brands first prior to getting into HR, I have empathy on the timing of a company. Mm -hmm. So let's go from the leader's perspective. If, if there's a deadline coming up and like we are not messing around, guys, we have to get this done, or there's something that's a pressure test that we have to kind of get moving, if you know that you're going to be a little bit more stern or if you know that you, know, you need <coughs> someone to come directly into your office, give me a qu quick phone call, I think... Having self-awareness to know where the timing of where you are as a leader and how that's affecting your, your kind of your internal makeup and just communicating that this is how I'm going to be communicating thus far or moving forward. I think that that awareness and that communication to the other person is important. Now, as it pertains to the employees, that's a little bit of a tricky one. So the first step for me is always being honest with yourself and facilitating yourself so that you can come forward and let them know how you're going to be communicating and say, okay, this is going to be my style. Moving forward, how does that feel to you? Moving forward, if you have questions, if you have ideas, how do you think you're going to generate those ideas? How do you think you're going to communicate best? Some folks are phone call people. Some folks are just walking into the office people. Some folks are emails. Some folks are um, very reserved and very passive, right? And that's actually something I had to get used to because I'm very outgoing and I'll, I'll kind of do anything. And I had to learn that not everyone's like that. And so I think it's number one, being self-aware. Number two, you know, being vulnerable and honest enough to, to communicate your style. Because then it kind of opens up the employee to feel safe and comfortable to say, okay, well, that's a good point. Well, this is kind of how I would like to communicate with you personally and or my team members during these crunch time moments or any other moments in the business. Does that make sense? So it's just, it's just honestly, and that's one thing I've always said, a lot of this work is really basic and frankly really simple and really humanistic. But I think we overcomplicate it at times. So those are my thoughts. Yeah. So you're talking about like being self-aware enough to recognize your own communication style. But what if you're in a situation where maybe people don't know what their communication style is? Do you have suggestions for like helping people understand maybe what their preferred method of communication is, or, or how to kind of navigate that? If someone you know hasn't lived enough life or just never really thought about it to know. Fair. I, I I'll give you a, a quick uh, tip on this. 
I would recommend anyone go into trainings for that. There are trainings online, there are, there are videos, there are podcasts. I would recommend investing in yourself and understanding your own communication style. Um, you know, I know, I know in, our, in our relationship here over the last eight years, we've had to understand our personal communication style. So it's the same thing, whether it's a personal relationship or a business relationship. And it takes, it takes you know, investment in yourself to say, you know what, this is what makes me uncomfortable. This is what makes me a little bit irritable. This is what makes me a little bit irritated. Or this is what excites me. This is how I'm going to communicate if I'm excited about something. So it's the same thing. Kind of just investing in yourself. Again, podcasts, videos. Um, what about like assessments? Like different assessments, assessments are amazing. Assessments are, the, the issue that I have with assessments, though, is they, they kind of give like macro blanket data. And I think, it's, I, think I would do a, an assessment coupled with talking to someone that's trained to kind of go into those nuances because they can give you that contextual information that you can kind of understand yourself with. But the assessments are amazing too. Any other questions or thoughts? Please. I'm gonna add on to that. We, at my company, did that. So every new hire takes the assessment. Yeah. And then like the first week that we're hired, they like use that as a roadmap and say, this is what the assessment shows. Yeah. Here's what we think based off this, what's different, yeah. what, is your style and then it's really easy to be like, oh, I did remember doing this. Fair. Here is what resulted in this. And I think that is also another one to like use that assessment. Yep. Use it as a roadmap and it I I think it works really well for all of our new hires. I would say the same thing. We did uh, stress finders. Yeah. Um and that was it, it's a pretty low cost investment. Exactly. That works really, really well and it tells people their top five strengths. And then we communicate that with all the team members. Yeah. I will tell you, for a 15-minute assessment, it hits you. I mean, it's, it is spot it's on. spot on, isn't it? It is spot It's crazy, on. right? It is crazy. And it also tells their communication. It helps you with like what type of communication style they may have. Um, it's all about strengths, not about weaknesses is what I like. Yep. And uh, so it, I would definitely buy the book on Amazon. But like you said, your first time go around, I would definitely have a subject matter expert on strength finder come in and explain what it all means. But to this day, our agency, any employee would say it was the number one thing we did from a team building perspective. So, yeah. right. It, and you learn a lot. Yeah, you're you like, do. Oh my gosh, no wonder that's how they communicate. You know? yeah. Oh yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. It's really, really good. And then it's kind of to blend in a little neuroscience at a simple level, um, I did a little bit of study and research there. It'll turn into a subconscious act over time. To your point, if you continue to kind of remember things or bring things up or really bake it into the operational fabrics, the leaders that are kind of managing the employees and the employees that are working with each other, it'll turn into a subconscious action. And so that's the thing. And honestly, my biggest issue in this space of DEI right now, there's a lot of there's a lot of keynotes, there's a lot of talks, there's a lot of conversations, but there's not a lot of operational building it into the fabrics of the company. There's a lot of one-off trainings, one-off conversations, one-off moments, and then you're expecting a human being who's very busy, has kids, their own fears, their own issues, their own complexities. Um, their own focuses to remember all of that information and then immediately make a change and then change the culture internally. That's just literally not possible. That's not how human beings are designed. So, um, so that's, that's a thought there. Um, so I think the second thing, you know, every three months, I'm big on this. You know, I deal with a lot of personal things that happens probably every three months. It could be financially, it could be personally, it could be emotionally, it could be mentally. I think every three month check-ins, just to understand their personal context, again, building out inclusivity is important. So if you're a leader here today, every three months, I believe we should have a one hour conversation with your direct reports. So again, 
a lot of companies have this as the HR director or the chief people officer building out macro surveys and getting macro data. But I want the chief people officers to teach each individual manager that's leading a team of three or leading a team of five, leading a team of eight, to have one-on-one -on -one conversations for 90 minutes or an hour every three months and get into financial status, relationships, and that can be personal. Now you have to be careful with that, right? Because there's certain things you can't get too close into, but just macro, is there anything happening at home, anything happening with your spouse, anything happening that could potentially stop you from being more engaged, stop you from being more productive, understanding their POV of, of, of you. Maybe you're a leader, like you wanna know from that particular person, how, how am I interacting with you? How am I doing as a leader? Have I done anything that makes you uncomfortable? Um, and then understanding their goals professionally, getting deep into career mapping, getting deep into where you wanna go, getting deep into building tasks and, 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 and adjusting responsibilities. And that's every three months for me. Because I think every three months, something in a human being's life has tweaked or adjusted a bit. Maybe your mother's moving into your household for some reason. Maybe your kid's going through a certain situation. Maybe your husband and your wife or your spouse is going through a certain situation. Maybe professionally you decided to just potentially try to navigate things differently from a conversation you had at Thanksgiving. Like every three months, in my personal opinion, maybe six, give or take, there's something happening in your employees' lives or the folks that you lead or the folks that you work with that you wanna, you wanna kinda just dial in on. And again, I think that, that bodes well in, in, in personal lives as well. Um, so I think the last thing I'll cover here today on this particular subject is allowing space for diversity of thoughts and perspectives. So that's a huge one as well. Um, if you are leading folks that have a different point of view of how to work, or a different point of view of how to do something that tactically, or have a different point of view of, of where we're going with these initiatives, do not, in my personal opinion, do not put a red light to that. I think you wanna hear and, and understand what that looks like. So for me, if there's a new initiative happening in the beginning of that process, when you as a leader are trying to like project manage everything and get everything organized, that's when you should communicate to your leaders. Any new ideas, any new perspectives, any new thoughts, bring them now. Because I think as human beings, once we get into the muck and the thick of things, we don't wanna hear a bunch of new things. Sometimes it, it makes us a little bit irritated. And that's when you see team members and leaders kind of have conflicting points of views because it's like, we're already in the middle of this work. Why are you now bringing in a new idea? Why are you trying to adjust or, or shift something? So in the beginning, maybe set a cadence where if you have a different thought, a different perspective, a new idea, bring it up now. Again, that builds out that, that inclusivity, that, bring, that, that builds in that diversity of thought and that perspective there, and it allows you to make some adjustments. Because you have to remember, if you're leading a group of folks Typically, they're on the ground floor more than you are. So there's something they're seeing, there's something they're experiencing, there's something they're learning, and you wanna make sure you have that data. You wanna have all the data as a leader to make the decision that's best for everyone involved, as well as the business, and then you can kind of move and, and run quickly. Any questions on any of these perspectives here, or any ideas? I have a question on number three. So you mentioned, like, if, as a leader, if you're, you're putting out a project and you're, and you're delegating so forth, we've actually had a situation where we were thrown into, we were working on it, and then we were thrown in and said, okay, this has to be done today. Yep. But then as we're doing it, we're like, wait, let's back up, you know, let's change this. So in a case like that, where you're thrown into a project that you thought you had time to work out the kinks, and now you don't, because I'm the type of person, I need structure. Mm -hmm. I don't care who, you, who it is, I need structure. So mm -hmm. when you start throwing other things, I'm like, wait a minute, we didn't finish this. Wait a minute, we didn't do this. Okay, now I'm just like, okay, I'm done. Yep. And I literally shut down and be like, I don't care anymore. Just, just, just do it. But how do I, as a, as a leader, as well as a coworker, how do I get to the point where I can say, 
I understand we were thrown into this. We need to make these changes. I know we should have brought this up in the beginning, but it's just hitting us now. How do we make it work? Yeah. Um, simple. Well, not simple, but a simple answer. Communication, and I'm hoping there's empathy across everyone. Right. If you're in that moment where you're noticing because because what you're talking about is like there is data. There are things that I'm seeing and that I'm experiencing. It's not just my personal perspective. And so I, that's actually the real answer. The real answer is don't just share one's personal perspective because it's your opinion. Try to back that opinion with da data, with facts. It could be facts around the market. It could be facts that you just know are objectively true. That it's going to be very hard to kind of kind of challenge. And when you bring that to the table, say, look, I'm, I'm looking for empathy right now. There's data that I'm looking at. There's data that I'm seeing that is going to change this direction. I know we're already in the middle, but just bear with me and just give me a moment to hear me out. And then next, we go back to the communication style. How do they want that information being presented? And you should already know that based off the previous slide. So you should already know how they want to have it communicated. Is it an email? Is it a one-on-one? -on -one? Maybe they don't want the pressure of everyone else around them as you break down that new idea. Maybe they want to set a, set a time after work. Maybe it's a phone call after work. Maybe it's you know a, a coffee date or something of that nature. So. You want to kind of break down objective data of why this is something we need to do and, and change the direction of it, but then also have empathy and understand their communication style. And also understand that it may not be a comfortable conversation. And then for you, you know, I'm always a big proponent of doing what feels natural to you and will get your stuff out because if you let that build up too much, then you're going to shut down. And then you're in the jeopardy of not being engaged. You're in jeopardy of your supervisor looking at you like you're not as talented as you once were. And now your job is potentially on the line because you, you withheld information. And withholding information in relationships or in, in professional relationships is never a good thing, just period. You never withhold anything. It, it, it never ends up good in the long run. Yeah. Well, I normally shut down and then like two days later, okay. So back to what we discussed two days ago. Fair. That's how I feel. Exactly. At that moment, I couldn't get my thoughts together. I was so disorganized that I can't communicate properly. So I'm the type of person when I get information, you've got to give me time to noodle because in the moment, I don't know how to respond to you. And have you shared that with your teammates? Yes, they. they That's perfect. I, I'm, I'm like you. I tell you how. When I first introduce myself to people, this is the type of person I am. This is how I. This is how I HR. Don't feel afraid to talk to me. Don't take certain things offensive because sometimes I can be aggressive when it comes to certain subjects. Yep. So I tell my teammates from up front, this is who I am, and then we work around them telling me how I can, how I need to deal with them. Right. I. It's been told I shouldn't do it, but I do it. I deal with each person individually because each person is different. Who told you that? Not to do it. You don't want to get into it? It's okay. Uh, <laughs> well, it was, a, it was someone very close to me. <laughs> I want to dive into them. Yeah. If you don't want to. That I'm, too, I'm too nice. I, I shouldn't be so accommodating. But I keep trying to explain to them. And, and they used to be in HR, I'm like, you have to deal with people differently because what you say to me might be cool, but what you said to her is not cool. And you have to learn because I, I'm reserved with certain people mm -hmm. and some people I can be very open with. Yep. And I go based on how they, what, how they react to me. Yep. I'm like, okay, I know not to talk to you because you might take this information and I might get in trouble or you're gonna take my word and twist it. Yep. So I always look, you know, that you came in and we talked about with him, it was easy for me to respond to you. I might not do that with, with Alex, because I don't know Alex that well. But just the way you be bantered, I'm like, okay, she's cool. So it all depends on how you first approach me, and then as I get to know you, because I will give you a chance, 
multiple times, but then afterwards I changed. Okay, this is how you've been dealing with me. Yeah. I now know I can't deal with you the same way, mm -hmm. or you're the type of person I gotta be more loving and caring yeah. because you need that. You know, my daughter's very reserved. We, we actually joke about it because she has siblings and she's the one that she will stay in her room all day, not talk to anybody, and her dad gets mad. I'm like, that's who she is. Yeah. Let her be. It's like, just give her her DVDs and she'll be fine. Yeah. The rest of the siblings, they want to be out and party, and she's like, that's not me. Yeah. So I keep trying to tell them they all have different personalities. They might have one part of us, but they have different personalities, and you have to deal with them differently. So with my employees, I do the same. Some will be very open with me, and some will be very quiet. And I'm like, I gotta watch you because you, you don't want to speak up. Yeah. And later on, you will come back with a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm like, well, you didn't say anything, so how am I supposed to help you? Yeah. <laughs> And, and the last point on that, and if anyone else has any questions or comments, please let me know. Um, that, that's scalable, right? And a lot of people think that's not scalable, which I, I never understand. So I'm, I'm very aware that surveys and, 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 and collecting data at scale is clearly the easiest and fastest way. But having conversations one by one by one by one, keeping open a Google Doc of like, okay, this is how Andrew wants me to communicate when things are stressful, communicate about career mapping, here are his career mapping needs, here are his perspectives on what he wants to learn from that Lindy perspective. You can keep track of all that, and you can have conversations at scale. At scale, all scale means is just larger numbers of people. And so I'm, I'm always, anyone that makes a suggestion that you should just blanket everything to make it faster, and because from a business perspective, Businesses do that, right? Right? We well, we can't individualize this service for every single person. We, we, there's no way we can cover and, and, and support a thousand different customers that way. But at a human being level, when you have a team of eight, you can do that. And so, chief people officers, even that run companies of ten thousand, always talk about scale and big macro data. But then, what about the manager that's leading a team of twenty? That human being can literally have one-on-one -on -one conversations, have an air table, have you know, there, there's all the different HRS. I mean, there's there's all these different tools and, and technologies that you can keep data and, and, and content on people and look to that in the evenings, right? Look look at that data, remember that data, look at that data prior to a one-on-one, and then always remind yourself, because eventually it'll turn into a subconscious act, and then you'll turn into the best leader in the world because you're treating everyone individually how they want to be treated, so. Any other questions on this? No? Okay, good. Okay. So accountability structures post DEI training. Now, a lot of the things we've been talking about are variations of DEI training, right? Now, I'm a big proponent of bringing someone into the company and doing actual training that within their methodology can actually bake into the operational fabric of the company. Again, you're probably getting a trend. That's kind of how I am. I like to bake things into like the, the true essence of the company, not just macro. So a post training though, I believe we should have check-ins with leaders on, a, on a, at least twice a month to give them strategic direction and make sure the principles of what has been taught is being reminded of, right? So if you're going in and teaching them about bias, you're going in and teaching them about having, having these one-on-one -on -one conversations, or you're going in and teaching them to understand folks' skill development needs or communication needs or whatever it's going to be, post the training, post the, the keynote, post the fireside chat, post the whatever training you're having, I believe you need to have those conversations at least twice a month with your leaders, with your managers, to make sure they're getting it. Make sure it's actually sticking. Employees want to see that. I've been working with a lot of companies lately where I'm realizing that employees are noticing that none of that is happening. The employees are not seeing their leaders being talked to consistently, being 
you know, held accountable. So I think twice a month having those conversations and just strategically navigating is important. So again, it could be an HR director, it could just be, it could be frankly any leader in the company that's doing this, but making sure those managers that are leading, you know, pods of 12 or eight or three or whatever it's gonna be, making sure they're actually sticking to their guns and doing what they were taught to do and holding them accountable because it's gonna make a difference, again, at scale for the company. Um, running surveys and gathering data from the employees, going back to my employees first methodology. <laughs> I've pushed companies, and this is, this is probably gonna think this is a little bit crazy and I can get a little crazy so if this doesn't resonate just ignore it and we can move on I've almost suggested the companies they should fire leaders based off the employees feedback more than what they are doing for the financial metrics of the company because because here's my perspective on this leaders this, this is a struggle leaders in companies are not actually baked it's not actually designed with their role to just be leaders they also have like responsibilities to do a job. I've always pushed companies that have like two different types of leaders. I actually had this one company that had like two in a pot. So one leader was a tactical leader, a process driven leader, someone that made sure things were getting done from a project management standpoint. Then you have a different type of leader that's more emotional, talking about career mapping, talking about skill development, talking about communication preferences, things of that nature. Both leaders need to be held accountable to certain metrics, right? From a KPI, you know, you know OKR standpoint. That should be objective. Just as much as you would fire a leader that is making that is not doing their job to get things tangibly and operationally and process-wise done, you should definitely remove someone that is not, you know, that is making someone not feel equitable, not making someone that's not being made to feel inclusive, not being made to feel psychologically safe. Because that's gonna that person's gonna leave the company. And that could be a rock star leaving your company. That's connected 20% of your revenue. So it blows my mind how. <laughs> I see leaders that are not removed from companies when they're not doing the human part of their role. Now, I'll say this, I have empathy, right? Going back to my business first methodology from, from my career here, right? Not overall my business, first, but like my, my, my career. If you're the type of leader where you don't naturally want to interact with human beings first, I believe that you should be given the right to not have your salary adjusted, not have your title adjusted, and just be process driven, right? You know, my brother Jeremy is just like this. Like Jeremy is really, really, really analytical, really process driven, really tactical, very direct. He's probably not gonna work well with human beings ever in his career, just not at scale. He's probably not gonna do well leading a team of 10 on the emotional side of things. But if someone comes to Jeremy and says, hey, I really need to understand how to do this exact skill or this exact thing perfectly, He's going to be able to break it down contextually and really get into the process, really get into the, to the fabrics of that role operationally. That now doesn't mean that he shouldn't be a leader. He, he can definitely be a leader because it, that takes a certain level of, of skill as well. So I think we need to figure out ways to delineate that a little bit and not force leaders to be everything, right? And I know that's hard when you have a smaller company, but it's still possible. Um, so I want to see leaders... Worst case scenarios, get removed from companies. Best case scenarios, be held accountable at a real, real detailed level um, and do a little bit better with that. So that's just a macro perspective. Um, and I want the post surveys, the feedback from the employees to drive the decision. So to drive whether that, that, that leader stays in the company or it's removed from the company. Um, and what I mean by that is not having the employees say, I think Andrew should be out of the company. No, look at the data over seven months 
if the employees are consistently saying, he's not respecting my point of view, he's not listening to me in meetings, he's not allowing me to generate new ideas, you know, every time I did this, 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 like, if, if there are consistent emotional factors that are hindering this employee from even wanting to be at the company, I mean, it's pretty black and white to me, but I want to ask anyone here, does anyone have any thoughts or pushback on that? Because, um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, please. I have a question. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to go too far down the rail. No, 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 but, it's okay. But where do, where do leaders put guardrails on? And what I mean about guardrails is sometimes people come up with ideas or thoughts, things that they need in their work environment. Yep. Let me give you an example of what happened at a local school district where I'm from. There's, I just learned this term, so I'm just telling you, I never heard of furries before. So the furries are students who would dress in the animal outfits mm -hmm. of the school. So the furries are now requesting litter boxes in the public school bathrooms. Okay. 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 So as leaders, and I know that is a really extreme example, this but is that, that is what's happening in, our, in one of our school districts. Yeah. Now, I think the kids are just kind of being funny a little bit. I truly don't think that they are going to use them, but I think they're just taking their own personal thoughts and say, let's see how far we can take this. Mm -hmm. but, it's, but it's real. The board, the school board has to deal with this. So as leaders, how do we, in our own work environment, let's say somebody wants to bring an emotional support dog into the work environment, and but then I have people in the work environment that are allergic to dogs. So you how, asked me, you asked me a tough how, question you now. see where I'm going? How, yeah. as leaders, do we put on certain thoughts and ideas, because we want to be inclusive and have a diverse workforce and all these types of things, but how do you put the guardrails on without offending people? Yeah. And maybe there's not an answer, but I mean, I'm just curious as an HR professional how you do that. Because to that previous point, what you're saying is, <laughs> if we're collecting employee feedback and an employee, you know, the employee that wants to bring the dog or wants to do these other things, keep saying, I don't like this manager because of this, right. and it's repetitive, and we're looking at six months worth of data, should we remove that leader because of that, even though that's it? Those are the tough things. Mm -hmm. and I'm not afraid to say I don't know. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, you he, caught me. I don't know. Well, I didn't mean to catch <laughs> No, because that's, that's a, no, that's a, that's a weird yeah. one. And, and it's not weird in a bad way. It's like, there's no right answer. There, I mean, I've been in HR a long time, and I had people say, I can't be around people who put so I've had so far is too far. Spray. So right. Yeah. And then people are like, yeah. wait a minute, it's not my perfume. It might just be my hair. I mean, so yeah. there's all these things in HR that you have to consider. Yeah. And so putting Human beings are weird, huh? It's, it's, a, it's, a, tricky, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. Yeah. To answer your question about the perfume, we've had that situation. Mm. We've done is we've said, hey, we're not saying you can't wear perfume. So open. Right. I've had a woman that literally sat beside me who used to do garlic cleansing, and I would smell the garlic. So what I would do is I would get a fan, not to a fan. I say, oh, I'm just hot. Mm -hmm. I would have the fan to circulate the air so I could breathe. Because I'm like, good gosh. And then I'd be like, Denise <laughs> talked to her, and I'm like, I can't tell her she can't take garlic. So yep. you, what, as an HR, what you try to do is you, like you said, you try to find a way. Like we had a manager who used to bring in her emotional dog. Mm -hmm. But we would tell her you have to keep the dog in your office because there are other people who don't one don't like animals. Mm -hmm. Two, if someone is allergic, we're now liable. So we had to go, and especially when we had our, our our employees who worked at hospitals, we had to make certain arrangements because 
technically we have to accommodate certain things. Yeah. And so it's just, I absolutely agree with you, and it's putting these guardrails up and not spending so much time. Yeah. Because there's other priorities that we have to, so it, but it, it's a fine line, right? It's yeah. a really fine line with all this. Yeah. So, no, please. You mentioned the survey feedback mm -hmm. on the managers. Is that an actual, like a 360 survey? Yep. Or just general feedback that's collected? It could be 360s, it can be general feedback. And there's so many tools out here you can use. Any tool that collects feedback, you can, and I would, I would do the tools that you can actually go and don't, in my opinion, like 15.5, for example, I think kind of like, automate some questions at times, I would, I would get the surveys you can actually add in your own questions and, and get it pretty contextual. So so any survey that's directly getting feedback from the employees around whatever the, you know perspectives that you want to gather around how they're feeling their personal leaders are um, are supporting them or working with them or and how, impacting often, them. how often do you recommend it? I'm a big fan on Pulse, but as you probably can tell, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weird character here. So Pulse meaning lots of times, like Pulse can be a couple times a week, a couple times a month, a couple times a quarter. Um, I know of companies that actually have systems that allow you to, as the employee, to have control and to consistently give feedback um, at any time throughout the, throughout the, the, the calendar year. Um, at a minimum though, if, you, if we can meet somewhere, give me like bi-monthly. You know, give me you know, every two months, every three months. I think that data is important, but, but annually, and even, you know, yeah, every two months, every three months, at least, at least once a quarter is important. Yeah, I was gonna say for like surveys and stuff, it's, it's important to have the one-on-ones and then also add like surveys mm -hmm. where it's like data-driven. Yep. And when you do surveys, it's highly recommended to do measured, like, space so that you can compare over and over. So, like, scales, because it's open-ended, it's harder to kind of gauge, like, okay, so you gave this feedback last time. Like, are you feeling better six months later? Whereas you can see, like, you gave us a six before, now you're at an eight. Yeah. But again, like you said, numbers aren't everything, so you should probably do that in addition with kind of your one-on-one -on -one talks so that you can get more insight about the actual numbers. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we seem to be, uh, seem to be at nine minutes, so, oh. So do you think these surveys should be anonymous? Because mm. I don't think that employees, all employees feel like they can be honest. They don't, <coughs> all employees. So yes, I am a fan of that. I'm a fan of one-on-ones where you know the feedback's coming direct. And that actually bakes very well into diversity, right? Like you have to, you have to understand that not all employees want to be the ones that, you know, the companies know that it came directly from me. And certain employees are comfortable with that. So I would recommend that for sure, for sure. So we have 10 minutes here. I'm good at expediting, so let's do that. Because um, I have quite a bit more content here, but I want to try to expedite some things. Um, if anyone, if anything jumps at you, please definitely stop me and uh, I can dive deeper. But I'll just got, kind of give like an overview. So I have a company called Beyond Brand. I'll give you the macro understanding of it and then I'll get deep into uh, briefly why it's important and how it works. I think companies holistically are really, really bad at articulating operational realities 
to talent early, early, early in the process. So what do I mean by that? Getting deep into, okay, you're joining my marketing department. I'm the leader of the marketing department. Here's how I make decisions. Here's how I communicate. Here's the bandwidth I have when it comes to supporting your career over the next three to four months. Like really deep operational things that we all know churn employees out. Employees, I'm sure all of us have left jobs before. It probably was around, didn't get, get along well with your manager, there wasn't enough career opportunities, um, they didn't develop your skills, you didn't work well with your team members, um, your leader didn't support you when it came to the team. They're, they're very operational, and when I say operational, I mean things that show up consistently throughout, throughout the work day, the work week, work month, work quarter, work year, right, in my personal opinion. Not things that we typically look at when recruiting is, okay, this is how much you're getting paid, here are your benefits, um, here's kind of the macro values and culture of the company, here's a little bit about your role, let me understand what you're about, and then let's hire you and bring you into the company. I think a lot of companies kind of do a version of that, obviously not more you know, complex, but they give a macro understanding. So beyond brand, I just think we're really bad at that process. So what we decided to do is we decided to push all of that operational nuance in the front. So third-party facilitators are important because it takes the mind and it holds it accountable. It's very hard to be honest with yourself. That's just a neuroscience-proven fact. So a third-party facilitator, very, very similar to a therapist, can drive you to be honest. So what I propose companies do, internally, if you have a head of people, I want, the, I want that person to do it. Externally, you can bring in companies like Beyond Brand to do this, and there's many other companies outside of us that are doing this. Bring a third party in, facilitate a leader of a hiring department. So if you're hiring seven roles in your marketing department, bring in a third party facilitator, drive operational detailed conversations to understand at a very tangible level. If you're bringing in a marketing, if you're bringing in a copywriter, how much support do you, are you gonna be able to provide for this copywriter? What's the ramp up time? How fast does this person need to be able to hit the ground running? What does that look like? What does success actually look like at a detailed level? And have these conversations. Do that in a, over, over the course of 90 minutes. There's many categories that you can cover. Chop up that content into like six or seven minute little videos and push that communication out to applicants after the screen call, after interview number one, after interview number two. Not employer branding. I want to be very clear. Employer branding is macro. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on YouTube. This is all internal visual data. So now applicants are going through the process and are looking at a video of their future manager getting very detailed. This is exactly to a T what this role looks like, how you're gonna work with me, how I hold, you know, what are my expectations, um, what I can actually do with career mapping, what I can actually do with skill development, like real information, because it's, it's a facilitated conversation. And then inevitably what's gonna happen is the applicants are either gonna churn themselves out of the process, which you all want, trust me, uh, because you don't want someone that is going to just fake the funk and be a great actor. Or what's going to happen is someone's going to engage more, lean in more, and now that interview is going to turn into a phenomenal interview. Not just you as the interviewer asking questions and someone nervously kind of giving their responses, but they're already going to have their notes and perspectives off of how you as the manager are looking at this role in this department, and now you're going to hire someone that's going to hit the ground running that much faster. You're probably not mind blown, but you also probably can recognize that Many companies are not doing this. Like most companies, you go through the hiring process, you have no idea this information that I just talked about until best case onboarding, worst case six months into the company. And I just felt, let's just push it all to the front. 
and let's just see what the candidates do. And it's worked out well. Um, we're scaling it, we're doing well with it, and we're just trying to make sure companies and leaders understand, don't be afraid to push that communication up front. It makes the interview process that much more inclusive. And don't be afraid to share your own vulnerabilities as a leader, because they're gonna find out one way or another. So um, push it up front, you know, new hire churn, new hire lack of productivity is too, too expensive. Um, so this is one of my favorite ones, not because it's just something that I do personally. I think, again, the head of people example. Heads of people can do this internally. If you give your head of people, your HR director, that ability to do that internally, there's a lot of value that can happen. Any, any questions or thoughts on that? So you're saying you would do that before someone comes, like provide all this content to someone pre-interview so that when you come in for an interview, you can have a much more like intentional conversation around whether or not this organization or this role is a good fit for someone? Yep. Like and do a post screen or post round one, post round two. Um, and, and the higher up the level of the role, the even the more impactful it's going to be. Because you're talking, I mean, you're talking manager level, director level, C-suite level, VP level. I mean, you're talking 80,000, 90,000, 100,000, 200,000 top roles. You don't want to, you don't want to drop the ball in those roles. And you don't want to have friction in the beginning because you may be in a stage of your company where you need that person to hit the ground running fast. Um, and maybe they know how to do the job, but maybe your communication style and their communication preferences are completely off. And, you know, so, so that's kind of what I mean. Please. Do you have a name for this? Beyond Brand, yeah, Beyond Brand. That's the name of the company. Do you have a name, or is that the name of the? The, the process company? itself? Yeah, like, the, like, like, hey, we need to do a fill in the blank video. I don't have, thank you. I don't have a name for it. <laughs> I, I don't have a name for the process, actually. I have a name for the company. I don't have a name for the process, actually. No, I don't. Yeah. Um, should probably do that. Yeah, I should probably do that. But I don't have a name for the process itself, but the name of the company is Beyond Brand Studios. Yeah. Any other questions here? All right, so we got three minutes. I'm going to expedite a little bit here. Um, I'm going to jump on this one and then I'll wrap up. I do apologize I wasn't able to get to everything. I'm hoping that the engaging conversation we've had has been valuable. Um, I'm not a part of this company. I, I recommend everyone look into it to a certain degree. There's a company out here called Compt. They're doing a lot of interesting things. I want to talk about the DNA of Compt. I don't want to give Compt any direct uh, value. The DNA of Compt is very simple. They believe that Everyone, whether from a, from a benefits and compensation perspective and perks, um, everyone wants different things at different times, and an employee should be able to navigate that at will. So I think it's really interesting. So I think at a macro level, anytime you're thinking about benefits, compensation, um, I think, again, getting into the DEI conversation, folks want to have a little bit more diversity and a little bit more flexibility with whether, you know, you know what? You know, the top of the line health insurance is really not what I'm worrying about right now. Is there any way I can take a few of those dollars and put it into, you know, from Baltimore Ravens tickets for, for, my, for, my, uh, for my family member? And I know that sounds crazy, but, but comp, they're doing, they're doing things like this. You know, maybe, maybe, I, don't, uh, maybe I don't really necessarily want the, the benefits packages to the, to the fullest extent that you have. Can I take some of those dollars and can I dump it into my learning and development training? for this particular month because I'm looking to scale my, my role and, and you as the company don't have that, that bandwidth or that financials to give to me, but uh, I want to still comp, you know, opt into that. So I think 
what comp they're doing at a macro level is really, really interesting. And I think a lot of companies, there's flexible ways to be able to build that in and, uh, and make that happen. I'm getting the stop sign. I think we're right at time. Um, my name's AJ, not Anthony. I'm hoping this went well. And, uh, and thank you. All right. We did it. Any other questions real quick? I know we have to end, but any quick questions, thoughts, perspectives? You're good? All right. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.